Good morning. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, God has chosen to give us stories to, to explain his unfolding plan to rescue and to save us. Uh, it's just an amazing story and how it has unfolded and how it's going to unfold because not everything's quite done yet. And 1 Samuel is a part of that story. We've been reading and studying in 1 Samuel. If you happen not to have been here the last several weeks, we've been in 1 Samuel, and we've been learning about God. We've been learning how to trust God. And we have this amazing invitation from God. Again, it's that idea of come. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and laden and heavy, and excuse me, come all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And daily and weekly and monthly and all the years of our lives as followers of Christ, it's hard it's to trust and to let God put his yoke on you. We want to go our own way. And 1 Samuel is a great, a great story as we learn and see people who dared to put on that yoke and those who refused it. And we get to see what happened, what occurred in their lives for good and for bad. And through it all, we learned that God's grace was carrying them through. Those who surrender to God find that they will share in the joy of God's triumph, victory. And those who refuse God's yoke, his salvation, they will share in God's victory too, but they will share in the wrath of God's judgment, and that will still bring glory to God, who will always win. We're beginning the second part, a second part in Samuel's story. We're in chapter 8. We're going to try and get through chapters 8, 9, and 10 today. Uh, chapters 1 through 7 focused on Samuel and Eli and that comparison between those two households. And now we're going to be focusing, the focus turns from Samuel from Samuel to Samuel and to Saul, King Saul. And again, we see victorious, how victorious people are who humbly come to their God and, and how negative the consequences are for those who refuse God's yoke of grace. A king is not outside God's plans. It was predicted by Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God knew that they were going to ask for a king, so he laid out some, some uh, descriptions for a character that the king was supposed to do and to be. It came down to being a trust issue. Israel's trust issues with God, the, the trust issues that we have as a body, a corporate body like the nation of Israel did. It's a, the kind of personal issues we have of trusting God when life seems to be falling apart and not going the way we want it. God speaks. We're going to be reading just in a minute, 1 Samuel 8, 7. For they have not rejected you, God said to Samuel, but they have rejected me as being king over them. And the speak, people speak twice in the chapter 8. No, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. From my earthbound perspective, 
I am so easily, we are so easily and impatiently, we impatiently run ahead of God. And we need to learn to wait on God. So let's read in 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 8. I'll be reading the first 10 verses and follow along if you would. By the way, I am making a transition. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. We're going to be getting new Pew Bibles, the ESV, so I thought I'd just jump ahead this week. They'll be in the pew racks next week. Grace and Terry, we got to do it now. Okay. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 8, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the kings who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Let's pray together. Lord God, in these next few moments, teach us, guide us, open our hearts so we're ready to receive your counsel and to wait on you. We pray this for your honor and glory. Lord, have your way in these next few moments in our hearts for your honor and glory. Amen. Wait on God. Beware of impulsive demands. So Israel comes to Samuel and requests a king. And Samuel was upset. Samuel was old. He had appointed his sons as judges, and that seems to be a little weird because God had always appointed judges. I don't know what Samuel was doing. But his sons weren't following in his ways. And just remember, this was Samuel, the little boy who had been called by God. God came and spoke to him. He spoke the word of God. He led. He delivered the people of Israel. His word never failed, and yet his household didn't seem to be in order. I want to give you a moment because you've been, well, we've been singing together, but just think about this. Does that surprise you about Samuel? Does that raise any questions in your mind? Does that, what would be a lesson that you would draw from Samuel's life, just from these verses? I mean, it hurt. Ouch. Your sons aren't following you. You're old, Samuel. We want to replace you with somebody else. Aren't I still here? <laughs> Talk about that with a neighbor if you're comfortable doing that. Just, does that surprise you what happened with Samuel? Does, do you have any questions? And what's a lesson you might learn or maybe you've been where Samuel's been? Take a couple minutes. You got two. Talk about it with a neighbor.
Why does God tell us this about Samuel? He could have just blown over that, huh? Again, I just wanted to get you involved in this. I wish we had time to interact a little bit, a little bit more. But this was a wise request from the elders in one regard. They didn't want another repeat of Hophni and Phinehas. Do you remember them? If Samuel's sons weren't obeying, if they were taking bribes, if they were being unjust, they didn't want to go there. Samuel was getting old. What were they going to do? But it was also a misguided request. Think about Hannah. She desired a son. The elders desired a king. Obviously not out of God's plan or will. Hannah suffered disgrace for years at the hands of Peninnah, her her arch enemy, that other wife. Israel suffered disgrace for years and years from the Philistines. So they wanted a deliverer, not bad stuff. Hannah wanted a son. But what did Hannah do that's not mentioned here? She poured out her heart to God. She prayed. She asked God to to take her son and use him for his glory. And we have none of those requests here in chapter 8 from the Israelites. They just were saying, we want to be like the other nations. You see, it was a heart issue. They weren't rejecting Samuel, though they kind of were rejecting Samuel, but it goes up another level. They were rejecting the highest level. They were rejecting God and saying, we can't wait. We need a king now. They were were willing to get silver, and God wanted to give them gold. They weren't willing to wait for new things New plans. In Isaiah chapter 42, listen to these words. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. He's speaking to his children, the nation of Israel. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, that those who, from those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that, it, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. See, God had these amazing plans for Israel to be a light to the nations. And they were saying, we want a king so we can be just like the other nations. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 13. New things are coming. You're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. So be salt, be light. You've heard it said, but I tell you, all these new things, these new ways of God, Israel was digging for silver and God wanted to give them gold. What was God's aim for Israel? Well, it was a lot higher than they were aiming for. They were to be different, believing in his covenant promises and obeying him. They just wanted to be like the other nations. Different, but not too different. If I could change an old song, stand up, stand up for Jehovah, but not if we're alone. (laughs) We don't want to be different. 
We want to blend in. We want to be different, but not too much. And like I said, God is not opposed to an earthly king. He had planned for them to have a king. It was the kind of king they wanted that upset God. You see, Saul's going to be the people's choice, and we're going to see that David, who's a forerunner of Jesus Christ, is God's choice. Caesar's the best we can do as humans, and Jesus Christ is what heaven does. What are the realities of earthly kings? Well, beginning in verse 10, And I won't take time this morning to read all those verses, but it's repeated in verse 10 and verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 17, and it tells it all, the repeated phrase. What What are earthly kings like? He will take. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. He will take your crops. He will take, he will take, he will take. And what's God's king like? For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and, from, and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is God's king like? We read it already this morning at communion. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The earthly kings take. Heaven's king gives. (laughs) He takes. He takes our sins away. He takes our sorrows away. He takes all our dirty stuff and makes it clean. (laughs) Just remind me again, why do I follow after some other king, chase after some other thing to satisfy me when the king of king and lord of lords is ready to give us all of this? Let's not give Israel too hard of a time because we are so much just like those children of Israel. Beware of placing impulsive demands on God. (laughs) Pray, fast, consider what God has done and promised to do for everyone who waits on him. Wait on God, secondly, listen to his counsel. Verses 19 through 22, I will take a minute to read those. Verse 19 of chapter 8. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. The king's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. No. There shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. If you take time to read these chapters and maybe you have, there's this wonderful dialogue between Samuel and God. 
The people come to Samuel. They give him his request. Samuel goes to God. God tells him the answer. Samuel goes back to the people. He's that mediator. He's that servant of God going back and forth. It's this wonderful dialogue. It's a classic, too. The people of Israel, the elders of Israel, we've made up our minds. We want a king. Don't confuse us with the facts. It's a serious action to ignore God's counsel. I mean, here it is. The king's going to take. The king's going to take. The king's going to take. That's okay. Bring them on. We want a king. It's kind of interesting how we believers in God kind of think the reaping and sowing thing doesn't apply to us. It applies to everybody else. But Israel is going to reap what they sowed. Heeding God's word is really what we need to do. In verse 18 of chapter 8, And in that day, God speaking, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's a scary phrase. Takes me back to numbers. Remember the people were complaining about manna? when they were wandering in the wilderness and they were talking about all the good food they had in Egypt, the fish and the leeks and the garlic and the melons, and they forgot about the bricks without straw and the slavery. They were talking about food, and and they said, we want something else besides manna, and God gave it to them. Psalm 106, and he gave what they asked for. They got the meat, they got the birds, and then they got a plague. Be careful what we ask for. Let's be patient and wait on God. But they were saying in a repeated demand, what does God know? We live here. We know what's going on in this world. God's way of leading us through the judges, through people like Samuel, it's not doing the job. We know what we need. God, you don't. Sinful motives. We want to be like the other nations. Selfish timing. We want it now, God. Your way's too slow. It's actually spiritual, being spiritual cowards. Just like me. A spiritual coward. I want security now. How about you? I want peace now. I want everything to be worked out, at least for my life. And maybe yours too, because I kind of like you people. Israel's problem wasn't their lack of a king. It was their lack of trust in God. For the record, our loving Heavenly Father, Jesus our Savior, the abiding spirit, is not against our many desires that we have. Do you want friends? I want friends. I need friends. Do you want a spouse, a husband, or wife? Yes. You need a car? Yes. Fulfilling work? Yes. Need a nice or a decent home, a roof over my head? Yes. A somewhat normal life? I'll let you define normal. Fulfillment, deliverance. Jesus came to save and rescue us. 
God's not against all that stuff. Father and Son and Spirit are just against the way I go after those things when I ignore him. We're spiritual cowards because it's more daring, it's more difficult to trust in God whom I can't see than it is the things right now. It's so easy to get invested in the treasures in this world that I can see and hold on to now that make me feel safe. I remember when we were young, if I had two or three hundred dollars in my checking account, I felt like I was wow. When we were first married, that was like a wow. I'm ashamed to think about how much higher that level is now. How many thousands I like to have tucked away. It just seems wise, right? But isn't it amazing how our needs change, how we don't trust in God? We grab after what we can hold on to, the temporary treasures. And I just want you to know, if you're a young believer or if you're a teenager or younger than that, are there any kids here? This is going to be a tension in all your life. Trusting in God or trusting in stuff. You're always going to be battling with it. We're always going to be wrestling with it in our wilderness experience here in this world. And just know, learn these lessons like God gives us from 1 Samuel. Uh Uh-oh, I'm out of time. Almost. A friend of mine, the late, I'll call him great, Art Yoner, missionary advocate, he said this. He probably stole it from somebody else. (laughs) My fear is not that you will fail in your Christian walk. My fear is that you will succeed in the lesser and wrong things in this world. Compare Lot and Abraham. Lot wanted the riches of the fertile valley down near Sodom, and he got them. And then he lost them, and he lost his family's soul. Consider Abraham, who stayed up in the promised land where it wasn't so prosperous. And then just remember that he, Abraham, was willing to wait for the city that was up ahead, Hebrews chapter 11. One of those great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. He was commended by God for trusting that God would keep his promises. Even though he never saw that city, he knew that heavenly city was there waiting for him. And just remember the heavenly city. And Lot got there too, but remember the cave that he lived in all his life. When Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed versus Abraham staying put and trusting. Remember Jacob and Joseph. Jacob wanted it now. So he grabbed the right, the birthright that was going to be his that God promised him, but he took it into his own hands. And he brought so much trouble into his own life and his family's life. God didn't give up on him. God's grace is always there. But compare that to Joseph, who was also promised to be a great leader and had, was going to be the manager of the whole household of Jacob and the trouble he went through. But he patiently waited for God to work it out when he was in prison in Egypt. It takes great faith and courage to trust in the Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is such a simple creed. But when it gets into my mind and my heart and it reaches it, 
transforms how we will live and how we think. But isn't it amazing how often that we resist that reality, that truth, when Jesus' counsel goes against my ideas, our ideas? God responds. The king's going to take and you're going to cry out. But wait on God. We're going to have to wait a couple weeks to get to the rest of the chapter. Be careful about making hasty demands on God. I need it now. You know, sometimes we do need it now. Remember the disciples were in the boat and there's this storm and they think they're going to drown? <laughs> they needed deliverance now. If you need deliverance now and you cry out to the Lord, if you are really about to drown, know that he is going to go to work and rescue you. Believe he will. He loves you. Continue to cry out and trust in him. He will answer. But sometimes the need, I need it now is our, what we think and not what God thinks. So in the meantime, wait on God. Do what you already know he wants you to do. Be prayerful like Hannah was prayerful. Prayerful students know his word and trust it. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that will flourish. Listen to God's counsel. Those who do are that tree. The most amazing truth of all is that God, even when we jump ahead of him, is gracious and kind, and his grace goes to work to protect us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Only the person who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistingly lets his yoke rest upon him finds Jesus' burden easy. Under its gentle pressure, he receives power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard for those who resist, but for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. What's ahead for us as a congregation? Let's take on his yoke. He will help us carry it. We're never compelled to accept God's rule, but ultimately God alone appoints the king, and we will do well to submit to God's will, find our rest in him, in his plans, in his time, and trusting the people he sends our way to guide us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father and God, we ask you today to do your work in our lives, to help us believe your word is true, that your yoke is easy, that the burden is light, that you're worthy of our trust. Jesus, you are Lord. Lord, let that truth fill our hearts, our minds, change the way we think, how we live. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.